Good morning. Welcome to Heritage Grace Church on our last Sunday before Christmas. Um, I'm excited for Christmas. I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite holidays of the year. And this is your final reminder. Make sure to sign up for our Christmas Eve service. It's at 6 p.m. Unless something crazy happens and we lock down between now and then, it'll be here. Um, It's going to be a great night just worshiping our Lord and celebrating the coming of our Savior together as a church family. If you haven't guessed yet... um, We're taking another step out of our Acts series, and I'm going to be talking about our third value as a church, and that's our value, as the screen says, of being multipliers. So um, when I talk about being multipliers, just as a blanket statement for the rest of the sermon, I'm not talking about multiplication tables and math. So kids, good news, Christmas break is still on. Um, When I talk about multipliers, what I mean is that we want this church to grow not by just stealing people from other churches, although if, you're, if you were at another church two months ago, we're very happy to have you here. But we want this church to grow primarily by seeing new people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we want our community groups to grow so large that we have to split them up and, and meet at different houses and, and multiply those. We want this church to grow so large that eventually someday we have to plant a new church because there's no room for us to meet here anymore. And so that's what I mean when I say we want to be multipliers. Um, If you didn't know, that's why we exist. That's the whole point of why we come here every Sunday. That's the whole point of the way we structure our church around community groups. Uh, That's our mission statement right there. We exist to glorify God by showing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ with other people um, in our world, in our city. And so... The reason we want to do this, at the end of the day, first of all, like our mission statement says, it glorifies God, but at the very end of the day, we want more people to be in heaven than if we were to do nothing. And so that's why our value statement on our website, you can check it out, says, uh, we actively pursue opportunities to multiply disciples, community groups, and eventually churches. And so our big idea for today is very simple and straightforward. I hope you remember it. It's a multiplying church makes disciples. That's it. And we're going to see in our passage today in Matthew 28 that we have a confidence in Jesus Christ to be multipliers, and we also have to follow his command that he's given us to make disciples, um, or in other words, multiply. So we're going to be reading from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Um, Follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw that, and and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I just want to pause here for a minute. Um, We so we know that the eleven disciples, from reading this gospel and the other gospel accounts, that they had all seen Jesus at least once. Some of them had seen him two or three times before this point, since he'd been. Uh, since he had resurrected from the dead. We also know it says here that they went to Galilee specifically to meet Jesus. Um, but we get this, this, weird, this weird statement in, in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So there's some debate on what doubting means there. Um, but the point is they're, they're hesitant. They don't know what to do. Maybe they're uncomfortable with seeing him or they don't know who he is or, or whatever it is. And chances are today that uh, you fall probably into one of these two categories. 
came to church today. Some of you came to church today. You're excited. You're ready to worship. You're in the Christmassy spirit. Uh, you're excited for Christmas Eve and, and celebrating our Savior's coming. And you came here with energy and a good mood, ready to worship our Lord and, and learn from his word and be with your church family. But uh, some of you, on the other hand, maybe are not really in the mood for it today. Um, you're a little bit hesitant today, and that, that could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe that's how you had just a crazy week at work and you didn't get enough sleep. Um, maybe that recurring sin habit in your life just seemed impossible to beat this week and that you just kind of came here feeling defeated. Um, maybe you're not a Christian and you don't really know, you're not, un, not really sure how you feel about the whole church thing and um, maybe there's conflict in your family, maybe uh, you're worried about the state of our world right now. There's, there's so many things um, that can distract us and, and cause us to feel doubtful or hesitant about being at church today. And I just want to talk to those of you who feel like that right now and say, I am so happy that you are here. I am so happy that you decided to come to this morning and be with us. And, and we together as a church family just want to stand around you um, and say that we are glad you're here. You did the right thing by coming this morning. And um, I think God has something to say to you this morning. Uh, anyways, let's, let's keep reading. In verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is our first point. This is our first reason why we are to live as multipliers. Jesus, number one, Jesus gives us the confidence to be multipliers. You might read this verse and be like, I don't really see confidence there. He's talking about his authority. Let's, uh, let's break this down. The first thing that Jesus says when he comes to his disciples and he sees some of them doubting and some of them worshiping him, there's this mixed reaction. The first thing he says is not, don't worry, it's me. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He assures them of his authority. He assures them that he is powerful and almighty. And this, this first of all, this is a massive statement. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth not some authority not most authority not i got a promotion and now i'm number two uh, he's give, been given all authority he has authority over all creation over the animal kingdom over the plants and the rivers and the streams and the weather and uh, specifically he has authority over all humanity you and i included and when presented with the authority of Jesus, we can choose to respond in one of two ways. And spoiler alert, one of them is a really bad choice, and the other one's a really great choice to make. I'll start with the bad one. First, you can respond in rebellion to his authority. A lot of us choose this option, uh, whether it's conscious or whether we functionally ignore uh, what he says whether we functionally reject it. Rejecting the authority of Jesus is also called sin. And it is, at the end of the day, it's disobedience to Christ's commands and who he is. It's living apart from his will. And in fact, this is, this is our default setting as humans. We, uh, I mean, it doesn't take much to look at the, our world and say that people don't really like authority in general. We like to be the boss of our own lives. We don't want people to tell what to do. We love, love, love to do our own thing and do whatever we want. And we hate, hate, hate um, being told what to do. I don't know about you. I, I'd rather, I'd much rather just do what makes me happy. 
in the moment. Uh, maybe, maybe you'd like to do what gives you a sense of accomplishment or success or uh, status in the world. It, it, what does it matter? Pick your poison. The point is that, is that hu- as humans, our natural response to the authority of Jesus, or really any authority, is usually to reject it and instead live as though we're the be-all and end-all of our lives. Uh, notice that I said, live as though we're the be-all and end-all of our lives. The reality is that when Jesus said, all authority on earth has been given to me, he meant it, and that's, that's reality. Uh, however, we can choose not to acknowledge it and reject his authority if we want. The other response we can have uh, is, is one of submission to his authority, and this is the far better choice. And although... Uh, the word submission kind of is a weird word. It doesn't feel good um, to talk about being submissive. Uh, this, is, this is the right choice to make. It's not only the right thing to do, but it's also actually best for, for us. And, and let me put it this way. Uh, do you want Jesus, who has been given, he just said, all authority in heaven and on earth, do you want to be on his team or do you want to be on the opposing team? Uh, this might bring back some traumatic memories for, for some of you, myself included, but think back to grade school phys ed class when uh, we get the two most athletic kids in the class to pick dodgeball teams or soccer teams or whatever. And let's say, let's put yourself in the position of you're the person picking the team and there's two people left. There's me, you're going to play flag football. There's me and then there's Eli Manning. You don't pick me, you pick Eli Manning, first of all, because you want him on your team, and second of all, you don't want to play against that guy. And it's a similar thing here, except Jesus is a lot more powerful than Eli Manning. When we choose to respond to the authority of Jesus in submission, we can take confidence instead of fear and knowing and confidence in the fact that the all-powerful Son of God is making a way for us to obey him. And this is great news. The God over all you know is on your team. And actually, I should say it this way. The God over all you know, you're on his team. And spoiler alert, we already know whose team's going to win. It's him. That's why submission to his authority is, is the better choice. It's, it's not, and not only uh, because you're choosing the right thing, although it is the right thing, not only what's choosing what's best for you, although it is what's best for you, but also because you're choosing true life and you're choosing the God to side with the God who does not lose. So Jesus, with all his authority over heaven and earth, gives us the confidence to multiply, assuring us that his authority covers anything we can encounter. Um, We're going to move on. Uh, Read verses 19 and 20 with me, the first part of 20. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is our second reason that we need to live as multipliers. Number two, Jesus gives us confidence to multiply. And number two, he gives us the command to multiply. And these verses here are probably, I could be wrong, they're probably the most well-known verses in Matthew. Um, if, you, if you've been at church for a while, you've probably heard these preached before. And you may have, uh, this, this is especially popular at 
um, when talking about like Mission Sunday or things like that, when we're talking about overseas missions, there's a lot of emphasis on the go part of that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Um, and, and you may have been heard that that's, a, that's the commandment. It's, it's not 100% accurate. Um, I'd, I'd just like to clarify this sentence here. Um, the word for go in the Greek is a participle, and it, it could be translated kind of as, as you're going, make disciples of all nations. And so go isn't the commandment. However, that doesn't let you off the hook to go. Um, it's such a basic expectation that Jesus almost doesn't even think it's worth commanding people because he already expects you to be going. He's like, as you're going, make disciples. You might as well be saying, as you're breathing or as you're blinking, as you're living, make disciples. It's a, it's a basic expectation of what we as the church are supposed to be doing. And for some of us, this may mean going overseas. Uh, we have people in this room right now that have spent a significant portion of their lives overseas sharing the gospel with people all over the world. Um, however, for most of us, that means that we're supposed to go to the people that are already in our lives and, fill f- and fulfill this command that Jesus gives us. We all have people in our lives that we can go to. That could be your coworker, maybe it's your aunt or your uncle. Uh, maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's the parent of your kid's friends or kids. Maybe it's some of the friends you have in place uh, tag with outside at school in the summertime. Um, Aaron asked this question last week, and I'm going to ask it again. And I think it needs to be asked quite frequently to keep us accountable. Is who is the person in your life that you can share the gospel with? And, uh, and just read this, read this verse carefully again. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It, it, it doesn't say, all right, when you're making disciples, wait for the perfect moment and wait for that person to come up and ask you the perfect question to set you up for the alley-oop to do the gospel slam dunk and it, everything works out perfectly. Just wait for that moment and then make disciples. No, it, it doesn't say that. It says, go and make disciples We're supposed to be taking the initiative. It's our job to be active in sharing the gospel with people. Um, It's our job to go, not not to just wait for people to approach us and ask us, hey, are you a Christian? Although when those opportunities come up, that's awesome. Think about it this way. Does Apple wait for you to just figure out that they've released a new iPhone? They they wait for you to be like, hey, Apple, is there a new phone coming out? I haven't heard anything. No. They spend millions and millions of dollars advertising all over the internet, on billboards, on buses, everywhere you look. It's like the new iPhone's coming out with this September. It's got a bigger screen and it can take better pictures than a $3,000 camera and it can faster and all this stuff. It's way better than our last year's one. So you should get rid of your phone that's 10 months old and buy our new one. And then they have this big event every September. I, I think it's called the Apple event, although I could be wrong. They have this big event in September where it's a huge conference and they showcase all their new products, their new MacBooks and their iPads and their iPhones and iPods and all these different things. And then after that, they don't stop advertising. They keep saying, hey, we've, we've just released this product. Buy it. It's way better. It's awesome. And it never stops. And we should be the same, if not more so, with the gospel. We have something that is far, far better than a new iPhone. The new iPhone, it gets better every year. It looks pretty much the same to me, I think. 
But the gospel, uh, you don't release a new edition every year. It's the same, um, and that's because it can't be improved upon. It is so much better than an iPhone. And so we as Christians should kind of take the attitude that Apple has with advertising their products and say, we have this good news to share with people. I have this amazing, life-transforming story to share with you. Jesus died on the cross. I was on my way to hell, but Jesus died in my place and took my punishment that I deserved so that I could eventually be with him in paradise. That is great news. And so when we're doing this, when we are going and taking the initiative, uh, we also need to be people of prayer, praying that God would give us wisdom and discernment um, how, how to initiate these conversations, how to ask insightful questions, um, how to speak, as, as the subtitle of that book is, how to speak the gospel into the everyday stuff of life. The reason that these, some of these step-by-step evangelism um, training things, they, sometimes they feel a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit unnatural to us um, It's because they're removed from the real life problems and fears and and goals and and experiences of real life people. While these these gospel training things can be really helpful, it's, it's far better to be praying and asking God to give us that wisdom to know how the gospel applies to the everyday stuff of people's lives and and, and impacts where people currently are. In that book that Pete is going to read, there's a great example of this sort of thing. Uh, Jeff, the author, walks upstairs one day, and he finds his kids fighting over a game of shoots and ladders. And apparently one of the kids had cheated, and the other one got angry and started yelling, and then the other one started yelling, and it turned into a screaming match. So I know none of the parents in here have ever experienced anything like that before, um, but this, this guy had. And so he, he walks upstairs, and he finds them fighting. And uh, when he came up, when he walks up to see what's happening, both of the kids start blaming each other and pointing the fingers. He cheated. She yelled at me back and forth. And instead of, instead of uh, freaking out, Jeff decides to take each one of them aside and talk to them individually. And so his son, who cheated, he takes him aside. And as soon as he takes him aside, the son uh, like shrivels up and he cover, he puts his like hood on or something and he kind of feels small and he's, he's feeling ashamed of what he had done. Um, and, and the shame and the self-pity is just like immediate with this, with this kid. And, uh, and Jeff in that moment speaks the gospel into his life and he says, son, you don't have to feel, you don't have to wallow in your self-pity and your shame for what you've done. Um, you need to repent and you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness to what, for what you've done. And then you need to commit to living a life that's outside of your sin. So don't wallow in your sin. Live in the forgiveness that Jesus offers you by asking him for it, confessing your sins to him and repenting. And to the other child, who was the daughter, she was the oldest child and she likes to feel um, pretty good about herself when her, when her younger siblings mess up. She likes to rub her brother's nose in his sin and make sure he never forgets that he's a cheater or whatever. And Jeff says that he reminds his daughter that uh, maybe she feels really righteous next to her siblings, but that's not her standard of righteousness. Her standard of righteousness is Jesus Christ. And so instead of um, 
setting this, this low bar for herself and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm better than that person. I'm better than that person. He says, no, you need to uh, look to Jesus as your source of righteousness. And if you can't be as righteous as him, which you can't, uh, you need to ask him to come into your life and change you. And so while this story is a Christian father talking to his kids who uh, grew up in a Christian home, it's a little bit different than a lot of the things I've been talking about here. Um, it, it's the same sort of idea when I'm talking about the gospel needs to be spoken into the everyday stuff of life. That's two examples of how the gospel specifically applied and impacted the way those two kids were viewing themselves in the Lord. And so when you do this, we need to, again, I just say this again, we need to be people of prayer. Um, everyone is different. Everyone's got their own things they're going through. Everyone has their own goals, their own fears, different questions. And so prayer and praying that God gives us wisdom to know how to uh, become fluent in the gospel and speak this into people's lives um, is absolutely essential. That's, that's why the book title is called Gospel Fluency. It's, it's to be good um, at, at seeing how the gospel applies. When you learn a different language, uh, some of you know more languages than I do. When you learn a different language, when you become fluent in it, I've heard that you start dreaming in it um, and you start talking in it. You don't have to think, okay, uh, I in French, that's je, okay. And you don't have to do the on the fly translating. It just becomes a natural part of your communication, your speech. That's the same way. Um, that's a goal that we should all have as Christians to be fluent in the gospel so that when we're talking, it just naturally flows out of us. We naturally um, talk about Jesus. We naturally talk about how the gospel changes things and how that affects different people. It should, we should become fluent. And so our aim as Christians is that we should become so fluent in the gospel uh, that we don't need to translate on the fly, but it's just a natural part of the way we communicate. Okay, so we're done the first word of that sentence. Um, I promise you the rest of this will go a little bit quicker. So like I mentioned at the beginning of this, making disciples is the commandment in this verse. So what is making disciples? How do we actually do that? Uh, well, part of it, the first part is what I was just talking about, is sharing the gospel with people. The gospel is absolutely the most important, crucial part of this whole puzzle. Without the gospel, we aren't making disciples at all. And that's because uh, the word disciple means a follower, or you could think of it as a learner or an apprentice. And so how do you apprentice under someone if you don't know what they're talking about, if you don't know who they are, if you don't know uh, what they teach? So making disciples firstly and primarily, most importantly, means sharing the gospel with people. Next, Jesus says that in, in verse 19, we need to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And baptism is a sign of one's commitment to join the covenantal community that is the church of Jesus Christ. That's why we at HGC require all members to be baptized before you become a member. It's not just because we want to make it difficult for people and add lots of hoops to jump through. And it's not because we're hyper-ritualistic, but it's because Jesus Christ has told everyone that calls himself or herself a Christian, everyone that calls him or herself a disciple, they need to be baptized. And it's, it's a mark of obedience and a formal commitment to the church body. Third, um, it involves baptizing them and then it involves teaching them and learning. Uh, verse 20, 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So disciple-making isn't a one-and-done sort of deal. It's not like we can, uh, it's not a, che- a, te- a checklist that we, we check off at the end of our day being like, yep, made a disciple today, time to clock out. Disciple-making is a process for everyone. And it's a process of teaching and learning and going through that all over again. And so uh, Aaron also mentioned this last week, but everyone here should have someone that is teaching them, is discipling them in the ways of the gospel. And they, everyone here should also be teaching someone um, and, and trying to speak the gospel into the lives of someone else. All of us, uh, if we're Christians, we should have older or wise, wiser, more mature Christians speaking the gospel into our lives, teaching us by example and by godly advice how to become more like Jesus. And, and the same goes for um, being teachers. We all have people that we can teach. We all have people that can learn from us. That might be the person uh, who's the learner from you, might be the person that, you, that came to your mind when I said, who can you share the gospel with in your life? Um, or it might be someone else. The point is that discipling is a process and, and none of us have really made it. Um, none of us get to a point where we're like, okay, I'm done. I don't need anyone to teach me anymore. We all need to be disciples um, by being learners and teachers of the gospel and of what Jesus Christ has commanded us. And so finally, uh, Jesus leaves us with one more encouragement. Um, the last part of verse 20, the very last sentence in the book of Matthew, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's already given us the confidence to be multipliers by assuring us of his uh, authority over heaven and on earth. And he's given us the command to be multipliers, to make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And just in case we get overwhelmed or discouraged by that task, by that command, he, he leaves us this, this glorious truth. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So yeah, being a multiplier is really hard. It's hard because every single person you talk to is different. They've all, I've already mentioned this. They've already got their own things they're going through. They've got their own questions and goals and desires. Uh, a lot of people will listen to what you have to say and, and not really care about it at all. Some people won't, have to hear, won't want to hear what you have to say at all. It takes us out of our comfort zones into unfamiliar territory, and we have to kind of, uh, we, we don't know all the answers to the people, the questions people are going to ask. Maybe we're not good with our words. Maybe we're out of touch with what this generation wants, etc. Et uh, being a multiplier is hard. And there are a thousand and one different excuses that we can come up with to dodge this responsibility we have. But read those words again, the last sentence, and behold, I, Jesus, am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with you. This statement is the very last one in the book of Matthew, and it brings his gospel story to a, this beautiful inclusio, this, this perfectly wrapped up literary masterpiece. And I want to show you why. Flip back to Matthew 1, verse 18. I just want to read a few verses for you. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not take fear, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall con- uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The very first thing that is said about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and the very last thing that is said about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew are the exact same thing. He is with you. He is with us. His name means God with us. It's a part of his character and who he is. So take courage, take confidence in the fact and rest knowing that you are called to the amazing privilege of making disciples, telling people of the glorious, amazing God who has transformed my life and your life and who is with us. And he will be with anyone here that uh, wants, wants him to be. And he is with everyone here that has made this personal commitment of following him and being his disciple. So, so Christmas is in four days, not including today. As you reflect on Emmanuel, God with us, I'd encourage you to find someone to uh, share the gospel with and tell them. We're commanded here, Matthew 28. It's also, um, it's also the perfect time of year for it. As usually, maybe not this year, but usually Christmas is statistically the highest attended church service of the entire year. People are asking you, what are you doing for Christmas? And they're, they're curious. They're, they're talking about these things. It's still um, part of our culture in a lot of ways, the Christian uh, celebration of Christmas. And so there are a lot of opportunities to live as a multiplier this season, even if COVID's trying to get in the way. And just rest in the fact that Jesus came as a man 2,000 years ago, Emmanuel, God with us, to pay the penalty of death for your sins, to die on your behalf, and to rise again and ascend into heaven with all authority. And that same Jesus promises to be with you forever. So let's commit today to being a multiplying church, to being an obedient church. Let's be a church that makes disciples. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we want to thank you so much for your word. First of all, uh, we thank you for who you are, Lord. You are Emmanuel, God with us. We can't do this on our own. Um, Frankly, a lot of us don't want to do this anyways. And so, Lord, I pray that... um, as, as we approach this Christmas season and reflect on who you are, uh, we would be ever reminded of the fact that you are with us, Lord, that you um, give us confidence to be multipliers in this um, uncertain time. You've commanded us to be multipliers. And so, Lord, now we submit to the authority that you have been given um, and commit to being a church that makes disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.